But our scripture passage today is a selection of readings from the book of Ecclesiastes from chapter 11 and chapter 12. And I'll be reading those in a moment, but before we do that, let us pause for a moment in prayer. Good and heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the wisdom, for the guidance, Lord, for the, um, for the words that you have given us, Lord, to, uh, to instruct us through life, Lord, to let us know that we are not alone, Lord, that you have not left us orphaned. And uh, Father, as we read these words, though, we know that unless the same Spirit that inspired them will inspire us now, Father, we cannot fully understand your will for us. So before we read today, Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit would be with us, Lord. It would be breathed upon us now in our minds and our souls that we may hear, that we may read, and that we may understand. Father, we ask that you would bless this holy reading of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is Ecclesiastes readings from chapter 11 and 12. Listen now to the word of the Lord. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life or vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> I heard a, 
story a few years ago that reminded me of this passage in Ecclesiastes saying, remember your creator in the days of your youth. It was a story of a young man who had just gotten married and he was very excited about his wedding presents and especially the present that was going to be given to him by his rich uncle. And what was so great about this rich uncle is the rich uncle didn't have any kids of his own and he loved to dote on his nephews and nieces. And this young man just could not wait to see what his rich uncle was going to give him for a wedding present. So you could probably understand his disappointment a little bit when he opened his wedding present from his uncle and found that it was a Bible. And it wasn't even like a real fancy Bible, like the big ones with the gold leaf edges on it and, you know, the family Bible, you can write the family. No, it was just a kind of a plain looking Bible. And he was real, real disappointed in this and couldn't even bear to open. He just, he just put the Bible aside and opened other presents. And the Bible sat there. It sat there and he didn't think about it until Christmas when his uncle came up to him and said, so, have you been reading the Bible? And the nephew, yeah, yeah, I've been reading it. Didn't think about the Bible again until Easter when the uncle asked the same question. So, you've been, been reading the Bible? And the nephew, yeah, yeah, sure, I've been reading it. It's great, thanks. Very unenthusiastically. And this went on for years. Every time he saw his uncle, his uncle would say, so, have you been reading your Bible? And the nephew would answer yes, and he would never crack open the Bible, and it sat there and it collected dust until... Well, well after his uncle had died, and 40 years passed after his wedding, and, and, and he found himself in a moment of great crisis. His, his wife had died, and he had just lost most of his retirement on a bad investment, and his children weren't talking to him. Everything was falling apart, and he really needed some consolation. So he went and he opened the Bible that his uncle had given him. And when he opened it up right there at the beginning of the book of Genesis, it was a $100 bill. So we turned to Exodus, and there was a $100 bill. Turned to Leviticus, $100 bill. Numbers, $100 bill. Deuteronomy, $100 bill. Went to the Bible and found out in front of every single book of the Bible, there was a $100 bill. Now, if you remember your Bible, you know that there are 66 books of the Bible which makes that gift a total of $6,600. Now, the story as I heard it is when this young man saw this money that his uncle had left, not only did he find out his uncle knew he did not read his Bible, and he never let on the secret, but when he looked at that, the only thing he could feel regret for is all the interest that he had lost over 40 years was $6,600. And the truth is, that wasn't the tragedy. That was not the tragedy of never opening that Bible, was not the money he lost or the interest he could have gained. He lost a more important opportunity throughout his life. He had lost the opportunity to remember his Creator in the days of his youth. He had lost this opportunity to forge a relationship with God. He had lost the opportunity so that when he needed him the most, when he needed the consolation and comfort to God the most, he would have already had a working, living, active relationship with his God.
So today we're at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. This wonderful, sometimes frustrating, confusing, but always beautiful book about King Solomon's struggle with the life's meaning. King Solomon all throughout this has expressed some frustration, some consternation, confusion, sometimes just downright depression about trying to figure out and engage with the struggle of the meaning of life. And he's given us some good advice. We've seen it all through the book of Ecclesiastes. And the reading we have today somewhat touches on all the major lessons that we've gotten from this book. For instance, our, our first lesson, well, we'll look at 11.5 today. He says, As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bone in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. If you remember our first lesson from Ecclesiastes was that you can't figure out the work of God. It's too big. It's too big and it's beyond our human minds, but we know that he's up to something. We're in 11.8 today where it says, So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. Our second lesson there are good times in life, and there's bad times. There's light, and there's dark, and they're all there for the purpose of God. Or in 11.9, it says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. He's saying, Enjoy what God's given you. Enjoy what you have worked for. Put on nice clothes. Eat good food. Drink fine wine. Love the life you have with your wife. But remember, you're going to have to answer for everything that you do. So keep an eye on righteousness. And then from 1110, remove vexation from your heart and put pain away from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Like we said last week, relax. Don't worry about the things that you can't control. Don't let the confusion and the unfairness of life get you down. And today, finally, in 12.1, Solomon gives us his final lesson from the book of Ecclesiastes. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, saying, Remember God now. Because the day is coming when life and all of its strength and life and all of its light and all of its vigor are going to slip away from us. Remember God now. And this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible just for the sheer, I guess, the poetry and the beauty of the words. And it's kind of funny because it, it, it paints kind of a sad scene. Somebody kind of fading away and, and losing their strength and vigor in life. But he says it in such a beautiful way. It, it, it portrays what Shakespeare called a sweet sadness. And you feel the ache and the sadness. But he, he says it in such a wonderful way. You can't help but admire this beauty as he, as he paints this picture of, of a man who stands on the edge of death. He says, the light is darkened. The keepers of the house tremble, the strong are bent low, the grasshopper drags his feet, the almond tree blossoms, desire fails, the silver cord is snapped, 
the golden bowl is broken. And he reminds us, this is the end of everything I'm talking about to you today. The body returns to dust. And the soul returns to God who gave it. Therefore, remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Before all these things come upon you. It's a short little phrase, remember your Creator. But it, but it means so much. Remember your Creator. It says on one hand, remember where you came from. Remember who, who your Creator is. The one who made you and where you came from. Remember that you were made in the image of God. You weren't made in the image of any other animal or beast. You were made in the image of God. This very special place that you hold in creation. Remember that. Remember that you were made out of God's delight. Right? God, God delighted to make you. Right? This wasn't a burden task from you. He, he was excited about making you. Remember that you were made in God's love. You were made out of God's affection. Remember these things and remember your Creator. Remember most of all that you were predestined to grace and salvation. That God knew you and He chose you before He laid the very foundations of the earth. He knew your name. He knew your frame, your body, and He chose you and predestined you to grace and salvation. That's why he's saying, remember this. Remember this creator of yours. Remember who you are. Remember that you were made by a good and deliberate God. That he made you on purpose. Okay? You're not an accident. You're not an afterthought. You're not the result of some random you know, collision of atoms. It wasn't just luck that your parents met and that, and that you came upon this earth. Okay? The, the minute that God conceived you in his mind, you were going to be here. One way or another, you're going to get here on this earth. When God conceived you in his mind and willed that you would be, all creation now is conspiring to make sure that you arrive here on planet earth. Remember that. Remember who your creator is. And remembering your creator is not just where you came from, it's, it's, it's where you're going. Because he's the one that's, that's destined us to, to go where we're going to go one day. And, and this book of Ecclesiastes, it mentions many, many times where we're going. And we're all, it says we're all, in one way we're all going to the same place. Right? Because none of us get to stay. Or maybe a better way of putting it, all of us are leaving. Nobody's going to be staying behind. The body returns to dust. That's where they came from. And that's where they're going back. It's a reminder that this, this life is a temporary one. And these bodies, we talk about these bodies as being our own. This is my body, right? I get to do what I want to with this. My body. Well, I'm really just borrowing this one. Because I'm going to have to give it back to the earth one day. And the earth will reclaim it completely. But it also says that, that it says the body returns to the dust and the soul returns to God who gave it. And so, yes, that does mean we will stand before God in our souls and face judgment and have to make an account for every single thing that we have done in the body, 
how we have obeyed him, how we have decided to enjoy him or not enjoy the time he's given us. But it also means that we get to be God with God forever. We get to spend our eternity with him and our ultimate destiny is not here on earth. Our destiny is to be with our creator again when we leave this place. So he says, remember your creator. And that's to remember who we are. Remember where we came from. Remember where we are going. And if we do that, then we get to remember then who we are now. Who our identity is. That's what it means to remember your creator. Remember who you are. You are a child of God's choosing. You are a child of God's creation. You were chosen for this time in history. And you have been destined to be with God forever. Now, I don't know about you, but this, to remember God in this way, to remember where I came from, where I'm going, and, and who I am, and what I mean to God is the greatest consolation that I can have in life. That is the greatest comfort that I can know here in this world that we're in right now. To know that I belong to God. To know that I came from God. To know that one day I'm going back to God. And that in that in-between time, I'm always under His watchful eye. I'm always sheltered by His hands and covered by His wings. There's no greater comfort to know that. No greater consolation now. So, remember that now. Remember that today, before, before the days get by you. Before you have to face the time of trouble, remember God now. Be consoled and comforted him by him now before you face whatever life has gotten in front of us. Before you face that final passage into eternity. So you don't face it all alone. Remember your creator today so you can live your whole life with the comfort, with the peace, and with the joy of knowing God. Because to have to go through life without that, that's a tragedy in life. A tragedy of going through your whole life and never knowing your creator. Of never knowing how valuable you are, of how loved you are. What a great destiny you have ahead of you. To live without God is to live a life that is, well, it's just less. It's just less of a life. And that's why I say this, this story about a man who was, had all the money in the Bible and was upset because he lost the interest. The great tragedy is, he missed out on all the consolation and all the joy of knowing God throughout his life. The great tragedies, he went through life without that. He missed out on the comfort. He missed out on the wisdom. He missed out on the guidance. He missed out on the truth. He missed out on the chances for maturity and growth. He missed out on the joy. He missed out on all the blessings of getting to be near God. He had all those years to remember and walk with God. But instead he walked alone. 
And he missed out on them all. So when I hear a story about that, I'm reminded of, of a love story. It's called The Ballad of Adam and Grace. Can I tell you a love story? Is that okay? I mean, it's Valentine's Day tomorrow, right? Let me tell you a love story. I will warn you, it's a tragic love story. But it is a love story. Adam and Grace. Adam and Grace met when they were seven years old. When all love was innocent. And when they met each other, they instantly fell in love. When Grace looked at Adam, she had seen no one so handsome with such a noble bearing to him, and, and her heart was immediately smitten. And when Adam, when he, when he heard Grace laugh for the first time, he thought that was the sound that sunshine makes if you could hear sunshine. And they, they immediately fell in love with one another, and, and, they, and they vowed that they were going to be together forever, and they were going to get married and have a happy life together. But soon after, Adam, Adam forgot his love. I mean, he was seven years old in his defense. His mind and heart were full of things like, like uh, being a hero in war, fighting dragons, or going off in big adventures. But, but Adam and Grace stayed good friends because, after all, their hearts were bound together now. So the years go by, and when they were 16, when uh, love is on the bloom of youth, when it starts to just really flame up in the hearts of young people and boys seek out girls and girls seek out boys. Grace remembered her love for Adam. And she tried as hard as she could to, to help Adam remember his love for her, but, but Adam was, he was smitten with other girls. Girls that were, wore shorter skirts and red lipstick and heavy perfume and he was just kind of dazzled by that, and, and he was taken in with these girls. But, but, but Grace and Adam still remained friends because, after all, their hearts were bound together. So the years go by, and when they were 24 years old, when uh, love starts to become fruitful, when, when girls and men and women get married and start families and build homes together, Grace once again remembered her love for Adam. And she did everything she could to help Adam remember his love for her, but Adam's eyes were taken in by another love. He was thinking about his career, about how much money he could make, about being ambitious and climbing up the corporate ladder and having a big house and great social standing. And there were so many girls out there with rich fathers who could promise him all these things. So he didn't quite remember his love for Grace, but they still remained friends because, after all, their hearts were bound together. Adam married another girl. Grace married another guy. They had kids. They saw each other on occasion. They swapped pictures of their families. But their hearts were still bound together. The years passed by, and when Adam was 50 years old, his wife left him for a richer, wealthier, more ambitious man. Grace's husband died and left her a widow, and it was at this time that Grace once again remembered her love for Adam. And she tried, she might, to get Adam to remember her, his love for her. She couldn't because Adam's heart had become bitter. It had become angry. He had been wounded by love and he wanted nothing more to do with love or, or the promises of love. And this hurt Grace more than all the other rejections that he had given her. 
And for once, Grace couldn't bear to be near him anymore, so she left to go build another life for herself. And, and Adam nursed his resentment and anger over the next 30 years. And as he grew older, his heart grew frail because a heart was always going to grow frail if it tries to live off of bitterness and anger and resentment. And when Adam was... 80 years old, he had to move into a retirement community. He could no longer care for himself. He couldn't need someone to help with washing the clothes and fixing the meals. And he found himself lonely and bored and nursing an old resentment. But one day as he was in the community room at the retirement home, he heard a laugh that reminded him of what sunshine must sound like. And he saw across the room a girl he had known his whole life. And all of a sudden the sound of the laughter was able to penetrate the, the gloom and the darkness on his heart. And Adam finally remembered his love for grace. And grace, well being grace, she had never forgotten her love for Adam. And so finally after 73 years of professing their love and 80 years of life, Adam finally loved Grace, and Grace loved Adam, and Adam's heart swelled with the joy. That night, Adam wept as he thought about how much time he had lost out on. On one hand, he was joyful because he had finally remembered his love for Grace and the love of his life, but on the other side, he mourned because he had not seen a love that had been there all along. As his heart swelled with love, unfortunately, Adam's heart was too weak for something that powerful. And he died that night with only one day to live with the love of his life. Now, if you're really optimistic, you can look at that story and be happy that Adam and Grace finally were able to get together. But the tragedy of this is Adam missed out on a life of love. And friends, I tell you this story today because you have the love of your life waiting for you. I'm not talking about any man or any woman or any romantic love interest you may have, but the one who loves you with a deeper love, with a more powerful affection than any human being can love you with, is loving you today. And this same God who loves you that much is saying to you today, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. This is your day to remember your God. This is your day to remember your Creator. Remember Him now. Do not let another day go by without Christ in your life. Remember your Creator now. Love Him today. Before the day grows long and the light grows dim, remember Him now before our bodies return to dust and our souls return to God who gave them. There is time today. Let's make the best of it. To God be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.